Finding assurance in troubling hours. Finding assurance in troubling hours. What a week it has been. For the first time in the history of this nation as an independent nation, we have seen a change in government. But it took a while, didn't it? for the results to come through and be recognized. I mean, given that this has never happened before, there was a fair bit of bewilderment, hesitation, reluctance by some to see change take place on this level. And so it took more than a full day, more than 24 hours, from that last ballot being cast to the official announcement and swearing in of the new prime minister. And that period of time of waiting for a little more than a day, uh, that rather long delay was full of tension, uncertainty, and very little sleep for my family, and I suspect it may well have been for yours as well. Was change really going to happen? Had the voters done enough? So many rumors of meeting behind closed doors, backroom deals, and, and we're looking desperately to any news feed we can find, any Facebook link or Twitter message looking for some kind of assurance that it would be okay in the end, that the right party would be recognized in that democratic process. Uh, It got my heart racing, and I'm not even Malaysian, so I don't know how you guys coped. (laughs) As we continue in Hebrews today, we have a similar theme. We are reminded here of where to look for our source of assurance as we endure troubling hours as God's people. Uh, Since the beginning of this letter, we've seen this repeated exhortation to hold fast to Christ as your Lord and Savior no matter what. As we began in chapter 1, we saw Jesus is, is far greater than angelic beings, and so if God's people Israel were punished for ignoring the message from them, well, how much more should we listen to Jesus who is greater and hold fast to him. In chapter 2, we saw more of what it meant for Jesus to be our great saviour and king. God's own son who, who took on flesh was made like one of us to taste death for us so that we might escape it through faith in his blood. And, and we were reminded there, we are his people, his household, if we hold fast to him as our confidence. And then last week, we received that stern warning, do not harden your hearts against Christ and his word. Remembering, again, God's people Israel from before, who who fell in their unbelief, who, who failed to know God's rest in the end because they refused to trust him, and they refused to show that faith in genuine obedience to his word. We were told, make every effort to enter into God's promised rest today. Show your faith in Christ, genuine through obedience to him as Lord, as you prepare for the day when God will judge the hearts of men. And now we're nearing the heart of this letter, which runs from chapter 5 through to chapter 10, the, 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 the central argument of Hebrews, as it were. And it carries the same theme again. Knowing Christ is the only life worth living, don't abandon him, no matter what. But this next section, from chapter 5 through to chapter 10, it focuses exclusively on Jesus' priestly ministry. 
how he, again, is far greater than all of the priests and all of the sacrifices that came before for Israel in the Old Testament. They, they were merely shadows, pointers, pointing to Jesus as the reality, as the true priest, who alone can reconcile us to God in every way and bring us into his rest, what we were made to enjoy. So as we, as we approach this new section in Hebrews today, the body of this letter the author straight away, he brings Jesus' priestly ministry back into sharp focus. Come with me to chapter 4, verse 14. Holding fast to Jesus, our great high priest. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now you might remember from, from chapter 2, we already saw Jesus in his, in his priestly role having been made like us in every way so that through the sacrifice of himself as our representative before God, he might cleanse us of our every wrongdoing. He, he might take away the fear of, of death by dying in our place for us. And now we've got the other side of this coin here in this verse. Jesus is our high priest who after his death rose. From the grave, he was exalted. He passed through the heavens to bring us too close to God's throne. And so we have this other exhortation again that Jesus alone has gone on our behalf into the heavens. He has brought us close to God's throne and so again hold fast to him no matter what. But see why we're specifically told to hold fast to him here. See in the next verse, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, what a difference it makes when we are facing a very hard time to know that we are being supported by someone who has endured the same as us, who knows what we're going through. You know, back at seminary when I was studying uh, in London, uh, one of the hardest challenges I faced was preparing for my New Testament Greek exam. I am not one of the sharp cookies like Tim Nichols or Andy Woodliffe, especially when it comes to languages. Thankfully, my college had a contingency for dummies like me. They gave us a Greek buddy, and my Greek buddy saved the day. He was patient with me as I met with him before the test, hour after hour, just to learn the alphabet. He was an able support because he could appreciate what I was going through. He had endured the long, hard hours of New Testament Greek study. He had passed the very test that I was facing, and I was so scared of failing. He could patiently guide me and encourage me, knowing what I had been through, and get me through my first year of Greek. And he did that. I very much passed because of all of his effort with me, which meant I could complete my training, which meant I could come back here and serve you guys here at Smack. I could be here with you guys today. Aren't you thankful for my Greek buddy? Don't answer that. Well, Jesus, as our great high priest, is not a stranger to the challenges we face for his sake. He knows what it means to face the fiercest of temptations 
all that we know as we struggle as his people in this world. Because he knows the struggle himself. And so we're told, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is that your reflex action as a Christian? When you are struggling to live with Christ as King when facing a hard situation of affliction or temptation, are you quick to draw near to Him? Pour your heart out to Him in prayer that you might find mercy and grace when you need it most. And being honest, for me, I know I can be so slow to do that. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. The thing is, we need to see how able Jesus is as our high priest who is able, having known every trial, to bring us through every trial for his sake as we draw near to him for strength and hope, the one who's known our every pain. And that's what we're, as it were, given in the rest of these verses, this series of comparisons showing us how great, how able Jesus is to be our mediator, to both bring us to God and to keep us for God and for his glory as his people. He is far, far greater than the priests of Israel or anything they were capable of doing. Now, these comparisons that we're going to look at in chapters 5, verses 1 to 10, the rest of our verses, they are structured like a sandwich. Okay, I'm sorry if you're hungry, but that's just the way it works. They're structured like a sandwich. The first comparison starts in verses 1 to 3. That's, as it were, the top layer of bread where we see the work of Israel's high priest. And then the bottom bread, the other side of that comparison at the bottom is in verses 7 to 10 where we see Jesus' far greater work as our high priest. And in between those two pieces of bread, that comparison, we have the meat in the middle in verses 4 to 6. This comparison comparing the high priest and his appointment by God and Jesus' far greater appointment by God as our high priest. So we're going to start with that first comparison, but that's the way these verses are working to guide us. First comparison in chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus is greater in his priestly work than all who came before. Come with me to chapter 5, verse 1, and where we see the work of Israel's high priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So, so here we're given the first qualifications for the high priest for Israel. He, he was chosen among men. So the The high priest, for starters, he had to be a real man, not an angel, not an an animal, but a man. Because, see what we're told, his role here was he was appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. No angel or animal could be our adequate representative. Israel needed a man, one who was like them, a human being in every way, to stand on their behalf before God. Now, why was that so important for Israel? Well, because as God saved them back in the Exodus, for the first time, God was drawing his people close to himself into his holy presence in the midst of their camp as he dwelt with them. But much like me, much like us, they were an unholy, a stubborn, a sinful people who were quick to go astray, who were quick to fail, 
to honor God rightly for the king that he was for them. And so from the very start, God in his mercy, in the covenant he makes with them, provides a means for them to remain in his holy presence despite the reality of their sin. A man, in particular, this high priest who would represent them and deal with the issue of their sin before God. So come to the end of verse 1. What would he do? He would offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And because the high priest was a mere man chosen amongst men, what also was he able to do? Verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. The high priest as a man given by God to Israel was particularly qualified for his role because he knew their weakness firsthand. He knew what it meant to be an ignorant and wayward individual, to be frail and weak in the weakness of his own flesh. And so he, he, didn't, he wasn't to be quick to be angry with them, to be heavy-handed with them, to be angry with them over their failings because he was no better than them. He was just like them. He was prone to getting it wrong with God. Verse 3 Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And we see that most clearly back in the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, where we see the Day of Atonement. It was a special day in the calendar each year for Israel when all the people were to gather together to deal with any sins that had gone unaccounted for in the previous year. Uh, anything that was still dirtying uh, themselves before God. And this is how it worked. It started not with the people, but with their representative, the high priest whom God had given them. He had to prepare himself to go into God's holy presence. And the only way he could do that was by first offering a bull and a ram as sacrifice, by clothing himself in special robes that were set apart specifically for that occasion, and washing himself thoroughly in a specific way, and only after doing all those things was he considered fit and able to go into God's holy presence, having been cleansed. And then this high priest could make restitution for the sins of all the others that he was representing. It was because he knew his weakness as one of his own people before God, as one of them, he could humbly care for them in this way. Well, this ability that Israel's high priest had to care for sinners being as one of them in their weakness, we see it perfected in Christ, our true high priest. Let's come to the other part of our sandwich, the bread at the bottom, this comparison starting in verse 7, the work of Jesus, our high priest. Verse 7, and we read of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Just like the high priests of Israel, we're told here very clearly, Jesus lived in the flesh, in the days of his flesh. He was fully man, as well as God, the Son. But here, flesh means more than simply Jesus being a human being for our sakes. Now, the word for flesh here, it's associated with weakness, the weakness and frailty of man. That's what Jesus experienced for our sakes as he willingly became man, as he took on flesh as the Son of God for us, as he was exposed to our fallen world. 
God and His Son experienced frailty. He knew what it was to have a sleepless night. He knew what it was to face lethal threats from His enemies. He knew what it was to endure the greatest of temptations. When the greatest of His enemies offered Him the kingdoms of all the world, if only He would just deny God and go another way. And yet Jesus, as he lived our struggle in the flesh, he never faltered. He never gave into the temptation to sin like us. As we read in verse 7 onwards, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard <coughs> because of his reverence. See, for Jesus to be our high priest, our mediator before God, he had to endure greater pain and suffering than any of us will ever know as his people. His priestly duty meant facing the very worst for our sakes. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the cross, where he cried out to God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me, that cup of God's judgment on all of our sin. The death that we deserve for turning away from the God who gave us life and living as we see fit. Jesus came as our mediator to save us from that greatest of threats, to make satisfaction for for our every sin. And that meant he had to endure the penalty for us. And because he did faithfully, according to his Father's will, we're told, end of verse 8, he was heard because of his reverence. Uh, Reverence, it's another word for devotion, and in this sense, total devotion. God accepted Jesus as his high priest and the service he gave for us as an obedient son who showed himself devoted, faithful, and true in the midst of his great suffering. See how verse 8 goes? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, that's not to say that at any time Jesus was disobedient before God, and then he he learned a better way and became obedient before him. No, we've already been told, just back in chapter 4, verse 15, you look back, and yet Jesus was without sin. But as a son who, who grew up in the flesh, Jesus demonstrated his perfect obedience in a way that it was not possible to see before he took on flesh for our sakes. As Jesus grew from a a baby to a boy to a man, and and as he endured that every temptation, that every hardship in the face of our fallen world, the world that rejects God and so rejected his son the same, in that sense, as Jesus persevered in those real temptations, he demonstrated his perfect obedience to the Father. That, That was there all along, but couldn't be seen in this way if it were not for the fact that he became a man. And he endured these things for our sakes. And on the basis that he did, God heard his cry. He was heard because of his reverence. And so he was saved not from death. Jesus still had to die for our sakes. But through death, as he went to the cross, as he dealt with our every sin, and then conquered the grave, never to die again. And see verse 9? And so being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. You see, because Jesus suffered and died in total devotion, in perfect obedience to his Father's will, his perfect life is enough for him to stand in my place as a sinner and for God to declare me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus as one 
who is without sin. Cleansed by his blood, our every need met in his love as we rejoice in him as our great high priest. As we show that we belong to him in our obedience to him as God's son, our savior and king. And, and as we do that, he is with us in the struggle. As we still live as his people in the world he endured, that opposes us at times as God's people just as it opposed him. Take confidence in Jesus, friends, because he reconciles us to God as the one who knows our every weakness. You know, right now, perhaps, there are those in our lives who are actively opposing us because we want to love and serve Christ for the King and Savior that he is. I met up with one guy a few weeks ago who has known a constant tension for several years now as he lives in his non-Christian home. And his family have made it very clear, we don't want you to be distracted with this Christian religion. We don't want you to go to these meetings, to church, to CF. We don't want you to be vocal about your faith. Look, just keep your head down, get a good job, earn loads of money, stop wasting your life on Jesus and religion. And it is a real burden, a temptation for him to just take the easier road for the moment to disown Christ. To just say, okay, fine, I'll stop meeting with fellow brothers and sisters as he wants me to do for the encouragement of my faith. I got a message from another brother the other day. And his issue was he was weighed down by his own sin. He was convinced that God could not tolerate him anymore as he gave in again to a destructive habit he'd been battling for so long. And he was just convinced this time it's too much. My sin is too great and God has lost his patience with me. Both these brothers, in the midst of their uncertainty, those troubling hours, they needed the same assurance. Jesus is enough. As we continue to repent and believe on him, the one who alone is able to sympathize with our weakness, because he endured the same and worse, and still prevailed for our sakes. He sits now at God's right hand in heaven, interceding for us, his people, ever ready to hear us as we cry out to him for mercy, for grace in our time of need. So hold fast to him. That was God's purpose all along, his plan all along, to give us a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses in Christ. And that brings us to our second comparison. The meat in our sandwich in verse 4 to 6. Jesus is not only our greater high priest for his priestly work, but through his divine appointment. Again, we see Israel's high priest in verse 4. Come back with me to verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. See, that there are certain roles that you simply can't appoint yourselves to, aren't there? We've been reminded of that pretty powerfully this past week, haven't we? The appointment of a new prime minister. Now, if it had been feasible, it would have been a lot easier, saved a lot of effort, a lot of flags, so many flags, if Dr. Mahatia had just been able to write a letter in his own name, in his own authority, back in April, in his home, stating unequivocally, I hereby declare myself prime minister of Malaysia from the 9th of May, 2018 and then just posted it to the king for his notification. 
Now, that would have saved a lot of sweat and a lot of tears and a lot of anxiety. But it wouldn't have been legitimate in any sense, would it? Now, we do give thanks to God today that we have a prime minister who was legitimately appointed, not by his own will, but by the will of those who had the right to decide who should be prime minister, the people of Malaysia. That's the way it should be. It's similar with the high priest for God's people. No one could just simply appoint themselves to this great role, say to Israel, hey guys, I'm going to be your representative before God now. No, it was God who had to designate with his authority the one who would represent him before his people. And so it was only, as we're told here in verse 4, Aaron and his sons that were designated the high priest, that were allowed to go into the most holy place, as we saw in the Day of Atonement, as God established his covenant with Israel to deal with the sins of the people, only Aaron, and his sons. One of the reasons the Jews rejected Jesus as God's Savior and King for his people is because he was not from the tribe of Levi. He was not a son of Aaron. And so in their eyes, he was a self-appointed phony. Well, now the author of Hebrews, he hits back He shows us how Christ's appointment as God's high priest, it's not only legitimate, it is of a far higher order than the sons of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood ever was. Come with me to verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just like we saw back in chapter 1, again, the author of Hebrews gives this quote from Psalm 2, this messianic psalm that speaks of God's promised king to come, who would also be God's exalted son, who would destroy the nations who continually rebel against God as our God, but who would also usher in a new and lasting peace with God for all who take refuge in him before that great judgment. See, Psalm 2 is all about God's exalted Savior and King for his world. But then see where the author goes next. In the next psalm that he quotes, he goes to Psalm 110. In verse 6, another messianic psalm. It's also about God's promised Savior and King. But see how Psalm 110 starts. Just listen, I'll read it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, that's King David of Israel, God's king for the time, speaking of his king, the king that God had promised for him and for all his people who sits at God's right hand in heaven until the time when all of his enemies will be put at his feet. And what does Psalm 110 have to say about this king as well? What we have in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 5. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God's son and king for his world would also be an eternal high priest. His true and everlasting mediator for our world. One who, unlike all of the priests of Israel before, could reconcile us back to God for good wouldn't just be offering sins up year after year after year only to die for another priest to come and offer sins year after year. 
No one who would offer a perfect sacrifice and be a perfect mediator for all God's people forever. And see, this this mysterious figure is identified with another mysterious figure, this man Melchizedek, who we're going to see a lot more of a little bit later in the letter. We're not going to spend too much time on this guy Melchizedek today, but just to help us understand the significance, the point the author's trying to make here. Melchizedek, he comes onto the scene very early on. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, and he, he leaves pretty much as quickly as he appears. Uh, it says, long before God gave his law to Israel, long before he establishes the Levitical priesthood or the sons of Aaron, and see how Melchizedek is introduced in Genesis 14, 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. This mysterious figure who leaves as quickly as he arrives is designated here as both king of Salem, what would one day be associated with the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of God's king, but he is also priest of God Most High. And the Spirit shows us here that we are to identify God's promised son and saviour king with a priest like Melchizedek. One who would bring a mediating work that would be eternal in nature, that would be secure and everlasting. And we know that that priest is Christ in Jesus because he alone has demonstrated it as he faced down our greatest enemies of sin and death. What keeps us from the presence of God, he faced them and he prevailed in his resurrection. That is God's message to the world today, the fact that Christ is risen, that Jesus is both the Savior and King and the eternal High Priest whom he has given to reconcile us to himself in every way. As we read in verse 9, he alone was made perfect. He became our eternal source of salvation. And so, verse 10 of Hebrews 5, we read, He was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So again, friends, take confidence in Jesus because he alone is God's chosen mediator for us, his world. I wonder this morning if you're here uh, with us, but you're you're not a Christian. You wouldn't claim to uh, know Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Can I say it's great to have you with us this morning? I am very thankful that you're here. But let me ask you, what is your assurance that you are on the right side of God? That he is going to receive you well into his presence on the day he calls you. He is going to let you into his eternal rest. I remember meeting a student back at university on a Friday lunchtime and we got talking uh, he was quite shocked uh, because he actually met a red-blooded Christian on a UK university campus. But we, uh, we started talking, uh, and I asked him, well, my friend, let me ask you, what assurance do you have that God will accept you on the day that you go to meet with him, if indeed God is there? And he said, well, you know, yeah, if God's there and I'm going to be judged at the end of the day, I'm, I'm an okay guy, I work hard, I love my family, I'm not a criminal, So then I asked him, okay, my friend, let me just ask you, on what basis is God going to let you into his rest? Is it going to be on the basis of your terms, 
or is it going to be on the basis of his terms? And he thought about it for a moment, and he saw the logic of it, and said, well, yeah, okay, fine. It's, it's God's eternal rest, and therefore it must be his terms that matter when it comes to entrance into his presence and his rest. Here this morning we have been reminded of what God's appointed means are for us to have a hope of entering into his rest despite our sin against him. It is Jesus. It is the promised son, the true high priest. It is the one who alone lived the life that we have failed to live, who endured every temptation, who endured every affliction and yet remained faithful in every moment of it, even to the point of death for our sakes, as he offered up his perfect life in our place that we might be forgiven in every way. Every sin that would otherwise keep us from God and his rest dealt with by his blood. We know that it's true. We know that he is the priest promised from Psalm 110 because he rose again to an incorruptible life. A picture of the new life that we can enjoy with God, but only through faith in the one whom he has appointed, Christ, the King, the great high priest we have received. We cannot earn this entry, this pass into heaven. We do not deserve this entry, this pass into heaven, but in God's great love, he has granted it to us in his grace a source of eternal salvation for all who obey the Son, who willingly bow the knee and depend on Him and His priestly work, and that alone to be forgiven and restored in every way. So my friend, if you are relying on anything but Christ this morning for your life before God, can I ask you to repent and receive Jesus as God's designated means to save you to himself. And for us who already belong to him, well, let us strive to show that that is true, that our our faith is genuine as we obey the Son in all things. It wasn't an easy road for Christ, as we've been reminded, to love and honor God in all things, and it won't be easy for us who have been called to that same holiness in him. And yet we needn't be discouraged, as we've seen here, With full confidence, as those saved by Christ's blood, we can draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need, knowing He who has endured all that we know and more is more than able to keep us for God until that final day when the struggle will be over. And I pray that we will all hear those joyful words that matter most, well done, Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach your throne. We can pray to you now and we know that you hear us, for we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. And on the basis of his appointment and his work, all that is necessary for us to be forgiven, to have life with you, our Lord and creator again, it is finished in him. Help us, Lord, to appreciate 
the high priest you have granted us in your son, that we would be quick to cry out to you in our time of need to receive that assurance, that mercy and that grace as we strive to live with Christ as our Lord and King and as we look forward to life in the fullness of his kingdom to come. We commit ourselves into your hands in his name. Amen.